It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, we know that Jesus goes from there, and he waits a couple of days. <laughs> um, he doesn't run to Bethany, but he waits a couple of days, and Lazarus dies. And then he goes. And then he has this encounter with Mary and Martha that we're going to look at here in a minute. And uh, then he finally, upon approaching the tomb, weeps, but then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And so from this, I want us to consider death, its reality, and how we as believers are to view it and what we can learn from it. Uh, So before we go and consider this, let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word addresses right where we are. Lord Jesus, you came to be the object of death, that you might kill its power, that you might kill death, that death may die, (laughs) that we might live. And so, Father, this morning I pray that we would see that that is not some metaphor But that is a living reality. It's the very center of reality. It should be for us as Christians. And we want it to be for those who are not. And so this morning we pray that your spirit would come in power. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Father, I just want to offer a prayer for my brother Michael Redman. Who is having triple bypass surgery on Tuesday. God, I pray that you would be with him that you would calm his fears, that you would give him your peace, and that, Father, you would bring him through this surgery strongly. God, we give him to you. We give Miriam to you. We know this family has had so much on them with her father's stroke and illness. Oh, God, we just pray that you would meet them, that you would comfort them, um, that, God, you would walk with them and they with you. We give them to you now, and we give our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. The death of someone we love, such as the death of Susan Grissom, forces us to ask hard questions. Um, It's like an invasion into life as we know it. it. It just gets in our face. It gets right in front of us, and it says, you've got to deal with this. And in our dealing, we ask hard questions. And it, it, it seems, as we go through the scriptures at times, that the promises of God and the reality of our world contradict each other. We see Jesus at the very, very beginning of this passage saying, this illness will not end in death. And we want to say, Jesus, did you not get the memo? <laughs> did you not get the tweet? Did you not get the call? Did you, do you not understand that, yes, indeed, it does end in death? Lazarus, your good friend, died. And I think as we, if Jesus were to stand in front of us this morning and say, hey, guess what? This is not going, Susan's, what happened to Susan is not going to end in death. I think we would all say, wait a minute, that's just cruel. We can look at other promises in his word. Psalm 91. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And we say, well, didn't we just see evil this week? We look at Michael Redman and we look at all that their family's been going through and we say, this seems like evil. It doesn't seem like good. We look at the Nelsons, our brothers and our brother and sister, and we say they lost hope years ago and now another child. Really? Really? But I want you to know that in the storm, we can go to God's word and we can question him. The word gives us the platform to question God, to cry out to him, to even rage against him. We see it in this passage in verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Is there anybody in here that hadn't asked that this week? If the God of glory, the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who controls everything, who knows the hairs on our head, could he have not stopped this? And guess what? God is not trembling on his throne in our questions. He says, in fact, I'm the one you were to come to to ask your questions. You're in the right place with your anger. You're in the right place with your disorientation and your confusion and your grief and your hurt and your pain. There are three things I want to see from this passage this morning. And I think and I hope and pray will help us as we grieve as a body. And that is that Jesus in this passage affirms that life is real. That people are real. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is is dead and he waits a few days because he does have a plan. And we're going to get to that to the in the end. But as he approaches the tomb, we see in these later verses that Jesus approaches the tomb of his good friend Lazarus and he weeps. And all those around them reacted and responded in this way. Look at how he loved him. We have a God who grieves. We have a God who weeps. We have a God who feels the pain of death because life is so precious. Think about it for a minute. If we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, this is what God tells us. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What is he saying there? He's saying we are made after the likeness of God himself. And that is our value. He didn't make us after the likeness of a tree. He didn't make us after the likeness of a dog. He didn't make us after the likeness of the clouds and the storms and the mountains. He made us after the likeness of God. Nothing else in all creation can possibly have the purpose that we have as human beings simply because we were born. You don't have to do anything but be born. And you have worth, incredible worth, because there is no one else like you. And that's what hurt so bad with Susan's death. That's what we're missing. That's what we're longing for, is to see her again, to see that smile, to interact with that personality. To be around her because there's no one else like her. 
She was unique, just like you, just like me. But how was she unique? She was unique in that she specifically imaged her God in a way that no one else can or does. That's her worth. And that's why we miss her. And that's why Jesus is crying. Because no one imaged his father to him like Lazarus did. Do you understand Christian community now a little bit more? Do you understand the importance of our relationships? Do you understand how important it is to be the body of Christ? Because no one is going to image God to you specifically how those in this building can image God to you. In fact, dear friends, you can't know God without knowing others. And to the degree that you're in relationship with other people is the degree to which you can know God. And I'm not, I'm not saying just Christian friends. That's how why we can meet anyone, anywhere, and no one can be reduced to their evil or sin or to their flaws because everyone images God in some unique way. Isn't that amazing? And that's why it's important for us to remember the specifics about Susan. I've asked um, a couple in her small group, Mamie and Charday, if y'all would come up. I just want them to talk. We In this church, uh, we have small groups that, that we expect to be family. And that's exactly what happened. I met with their group. Y'all can come up either way. I met with their small group, the Susan and Scott small group the other night, and man, this, this crew was hurting. Um, but I just asked that they would come and just tell us how they are going to remember Susan, and so Mamie, you can go. Oops, sorry. I wrote it, I wrote it down. Um, I mean, like everybody, I have no words for what happened, but I have a ton of words about Susan, so it, it's easy in that way, and it's really hard in other ways. Um, Susan and Scott have been a part of my community group, at least, for, for years now, and um, every holiday, every wedding, every baby, we celebrate at their house and with them because they know how to celebrate um, and they know how to have a good time and celebrate the Lord's goodness and his grace. And so anytime anything happened, Susan's calling me saying, okay, we need to get together. And that's exactly what happened the day she was killed. She was calling me, wanting to plan our Thanksgiving feast. And I think that says a lot. Um, we also know a lot about Devin and Jameson because... Your parents prayed for you every single week, and this whole row of people right here know more about you than you might think, (laughs) because your parents are so proud of you. Um, Like we mentioned before, uh, I stand up here knowing a thousand percent Susan is in the arms of Jesus, and she is so happy, and she's waiting for us. And so my prayer through all of this is that Jesus would come very, very quickly because we miss her. And we're tired of this. But in our, in our grief, I guess, we can, know, um, we can know his goodness. 
my last thought, I guess, is um, the Lord really numbered every one of Susan's precious days on earth as a wife and a mother and a friend and as part of my Memphis family, for sure. Um, now she's with Jesus. Um, so. I'm sure they, I know Susan because she's in our community group as well. And I'm just really going to miss her smile. Just how much she cared about LG and I and loving us well and opening her home for us hoping for our wedding, doing everything for our community group and everything. I'm going to miss having somebody to say, hey, well, can you tell me a recipe? I'm going to make that pork loin like she told me to make it every single time. Um, I'm just really going to miss her. And I know our community group is going to miss her as well. But we're going to continue to pray for your family, for Devin, for Jameson, for Scott. I love you so much. Um, we're going to be here for you guys, whatever you need, and we love you. Thank you, guys. So this is why it hurts. Um, Nobody can replace Susan, and... Because she was unique in that way. I mean, nobody can image God to this family um, exactly like she did. Life is real. And that's what I think Jesus was encountering. I think Mary and Martha, too, and their brother. I mean, even though Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, he was still weeping. And because of that, life is real, but so is death. On This side of the fall, this side of Genesis 2, and this side of glory, death is real. It's a reality that we deal with as human beings, and there's no way not to deal with it. Um, I was looking at an article this week on grief, uh, The Five Stages of Grief by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she describes these five stages. Uh, She said, that it's really that we are really predictable to some degree in how we respond to loss and, and death and the possibility of death. She said that um, that, that everybody um, at some point has denial. And, and I can relate to that. When I got word, I was praying on my way to the Grissom's house, God, don't let this be true. I'm denying it <laughs> immediately. I was told what happened, and I'm denying it. Because we don't want it to happen. Uh, There's denial. Um, And and then there's anger. I could speak a long time on that. Um, I think all of us have and can. There's bargaining. Oh, God, don't let it be true, and I will. There's bargaining. There's depression, sadness, despondency. And then there's finally acceptance. And it's not necessarily in that order, but we all experience it. And what I find so interesting is that I was looking through this passage. I saw that Mary and Martha were going through some of these stages. Uh, Listen to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's anger. Are you kidding me? If you had just shown up, God, I mean, what? where were you? 
Were you looking away? Were you were you distracted? Were you on vacation? I mean, this is this is the tone that we get from Mary and Martha. Where were you, God, from Martha? And then we go to verses 22 through 24. But even now, here's the denial. <laughs> even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Don't give me that. There's denial. There's anger. There's sadness, depression. Susan's death hits us all in different ways. But it hits us all. The grief, the fear, the loneliness, the isolation, the anger. Even yesterday when her killer was caught to see a face. We all experience it in a different way, but we all experience it. Why? Why can't we just deny it? Why can't we just say, well, I'm not dealing with that today? Why do our bodies, why not just emotionally, uh, uh, physically, um, psychologically, spiritually, I mean, why can we not avoid having to grieve? Because we were not created for death. You were not made for this. People in the small group, one of the questions asked the other night was, how do we grieve? And I'm like, you got me. But grieve. Because we weren't made for this. We weren't made to taste this. We weren't made to experience the loss of a mother, the loss of a wife, the loss of a sister, the loss of a sister-in-law, an aunt. We weren't created for this. We were made for life because we have a God who is the God of life, not the God of death. We were not made for this. And yet, dear friends, there is purpose to it in our day because I believe secular man and and woman that we live thinking that we can live without God. And so what death does is it comes in and it says, no, you're going to deal with the transcendent. Charles Taylor wrote a book that I'm not even going to pretend that I've read. It's about 900 pages of some deep, deep um, philosophy and theology. It's called Secular Age. And he, he proposes in this um, work that secular man is not even asking the God questions anymore. We're not asking about God. We've kind of moved beyond that because now with all our technology and our social media, we have so much that can just completely distract us and, and convince us that we can live a life immune from evil, immune from tragedy, immune from suffering, and therefore we don't need God. In latter ages, uh, it, like in the 1500s, men and women could not get away with that because the fall, the curse was right there. They couldn't live as if there were no God. But with modern technology and advancements, in, especially in the West, especially in America, you don't find this in Africa and other countries, but definitely in our day and age, we feel as if we don't even have to ask the questions. As a church planner, as a guy who talks to people about Jesus, most of our work, if we're trying to bring someone into the conversation of who God is and what he has done and what's our purpose and what's wrong with us and how does Jesus... I mean, we have to work to even get people to be curious because we've got so much to distract us. 
We've got so much, so many layers that we can build to keep us from even having to ask the questions anymore. James K.A. Smith, in his work, How Not to Be Secular, uh, reading Charles Taylor, this is uh, his summary, cliff notes of Charles Taylor's huge work. He says this. He said, they, speaking about secular man, no longer are no longer bothered by the God question as a question because they are devotees of exclusive humanism. We don't need God. A way of being in the world that offers significance without transcendence. They don't feel like anything is missing. And yet, friends, today, the one thing that I can think of that that pierces that is death. And maybe that's why we're seeing so much death. (laughs) Maybe that's why we're seeing so much in-your-face news, because modern man doesn't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with a a guy that that goes up in a hotel and just starts unloading on people in a crowd at a country. We don't want to have to deal with it. Don't show us that. Because what that does is it pierces the veil of our secular humanism where we we don't want to deal with it. And I think what Jesus is doing with this is saying, you need to deal with it. Because it is a lie that we don't need God. You can say you don't need God, but if you were created by God for God, then you need God. And it doesn't matter how progressive you become. It doesn't matter how good you get at building walls of, uh, of insulation from evil. It is going to break through, and it is done so this week. But friends, this isn't the end of it. This side of glory. It's going to keep pressing your worldview. It's going to keep challenging your insulated philosophy of life, which everybody has one. I'm I'm humored sometimes by people that say, oh, you Christians, y'all are always trying to get us to believe what you believe. Well, are you not trying to get me to believe what you believe by telling me you don't want to believe what I believe? I mean, we all have a worldview. We all believe something. So death is real. We can't sugarcoat it. It's not what we were created for, but I want to make this clear. It's what God has given us over to as fallen men and women. We need to put some theology to this. You see, Christianity gives an explanation of death. It goes back to the creation of man where God created all things good and for his own glory. And he put us in a garden, a perfect world, and he gave us one command. And that was don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And that's precisely what Adam and Eve did. They they succumbed to the temptation. They allowed themselves to be duped. They 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 answered the call of the serpent to distrust God and his word. And so what did God do? God gave them over to death. And we see that in one of the first, the first death recorded, Cain killing Abel. Adam and Eve felt death. 
Friends, the feeling that we all have, the rage inside of us, this should not be. The hurt, the grief, the deep pain in all of us when we lose somebody we love is this this constant cry that this should not be. But dear friends, it's true, but it's what is because of our rebellion. Some might say, why Susan? She did not deserve it. And there's an element of truth in that. She did not deserve it any more than the rest of us and probably a little less. (laughs) I'll say that again. She didn't deserve it any more than the rest of us and probably a little less. But the reality is, is that we all deserve it. The reality is, is this is all of our fate. It's coming and, and what death can teach us is the horrific nature of sin. That when we feel what we're feeling, when, we, when our hearts are broken to the point that it's broken to, we can understand that sin is real, rebellion is real, it's evil. And we need to respond to it in the way that God has given us to respond. I think in every death, what we need to do is we need to do some soul searching and ask, is what I'm believing able to really save me in times like this? And you say, Richard, that's just, you know, that sounds like, you know, a preacher taking advantage. No, I'm sorry. I'm with you. I'm crying the tears with you. I'm hurting with you. I wish I wasn't the minister of downtown church right now. I wish I could just sit there with you and let somebody else preach to me. But what I'm telling my own soul is, Richard, where is your life with Jesus right now? (laughs) Richard, what do you who are you not loving? Richard, what does it look like for you to respond to this death, the death of your your friend? So we need to ask the question. But dear friends, Christianity is the only the only place that I see real hope that's not just nice thinking. Christianity is the only place that tells us that hope is real in the face of death. Notice that in our passage, Jesus didn't just say, hey, I'm going to raise Lazarus. Y'all go home. Don't worry about it. He said, look. He said, I am the resurrection. When, when, you know, when, when, uh, Martha said, Hey, I know you're going to raise my brother at the end of the day in the last times. Jesus didn't just say, Oh yeah, you're right. Let's go home and let's look forward to that day. He said, No, you don't understand, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life right now. Right now. Do you know what that means? It means what I told this couple last night. I stood before a couple and I officiated a wedding just last night. You talk about the range of emotions in one week. And and I, I, I challenged this young couple. I said, you know what? You guys are really in love right now. And that's awesome. That's awesome. But that love is going to cool. There are going to be moments when you don't love like you love right now. What are you going to do? I said, look. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because he first loved us. (laughs) You see, we can work up love when we think we have found the right one. But let me just tell you, there's only one right one. And his name is Jesus. 
because he is the one that we're created for. What we love about Susan Grissom so much is she gave us Jesus in a specific way that no one else can has before or will after. But she gave us Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? So what that means is Susan is not our ultimate hope. Do we love her? Yes. Do we miss her? Yes. Do we cry and weep and will we for years? Yes. Will it ever be the same? No, until glory. But she was giving us what we really need, and his name is Jesus. I mean, that's the hope of, that's what Jesus was saying when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not just there for when you die. I am the one through whom you can process all of life, your work, your relationships, your hobbies, your money, your sex, your everything. I'm the one you process through, and I'm the one that brings meaning because I'm the one that you're really looking for behind everything that you are are searching and using um, um, to really bring you satisfaction, even and especially the good things. You see, everything in this world points to God, but only God is God. And so the question this morning is, will you understand the message that Jesus is saying? When he said, I am the resurrection of life, yes, we have ultimate hope that literally one day, someday, as a believer, my body is going to die, it's going to rot, you guys are going to put me in the ground, Maybe shed a couple of tears, but one day, someday, I am going to rise. I believe that. I believe that literally. Because Jesus was born in the flesh. He was a real human being. He died a real death. And on the third day, he rose again physically. He appeared to over 500 people, all of whom could have said, no, that really didn't happen, and Christianity would have been over. He, he appeared to over 500 people. That doesn't even include the apostles. And he lived on this earth for 40 days, and then he ascended on high. And he said, if you would but turn away from everything else you're looking to, to bring you life, and look to me, I will give you life. I will give you the hope of resurrection. I will give you the hope of meaning. And even when tragedy strikes, nothing is going to take me away from you. And what you really love and what you really need can never be ripped away. Because all that we have in this life that we can lose for a moment is simply pointing to him. So I ask you this morning, do you have the hope of Jesus Christ. Is he your Messiah? Is he the one that you're running to? Even in your fear of this violent act, it's, it's, it's struck incredible fear in our neighborhood. I live a couple of hundred yards from Scott and Susan. Lots of fear. Do you understand that there's hope beyond the fear? And his name is Jesus. Do you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ? All you must do is follow him. All you must do is say, I have been hoping in the wrong things, and now I want to hope in Christ. I want, I want to get to know Christ. 
I, I, I want to understand this hope of eternity. I want to have this hope of resurrection. I want to know what real life is like. I want to begin to process through his Bible, his teachings, how my life needs to be different and more in line, how I need to reorder my life to, to uh, the things that I was created for. If that's you this morning, if this is the, if the gospel is being reson, if it's resonating to you this morning in a way that maybe it never has before, I'm going to give you the opportunity. You don't have to come down and talk to one of our elders, but I want to give you that opportunity. Because there's something about physically responding. There's something about physically saying yes to Jesus. That, that is hope and I never, I mean, I, I accepted Jesus right where I was when I was sitting. And if that's where you are, I hope that's exactly what you would do. And then come tell us so that we can put you in a small group, so that we can disciple you and teach you and walk with you and help you as you walk with us and help us and show us Jesus in ways that, that no one else could. And so, friends, I'm going to ask our elders and community group leaders to come forward And if you want to come and talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus, if you want to give your life to Jesus, and you want to do so this morning in this way, then I'm I'm going to ask that you do so as the music is being played. Or if you just simply want prayer. We've had one opportunity for prayer, but I know there are a lot of people hurting. So if you just simply want prayer, feel free um, to come down and just get prayer. And so now, uh, let me pray for us, and then we will just go into a time of offering where we are giving to the Lord. If you are visiting with us today, please feel no obligation to give money. Uh, But this is something we do as believers. We write our checks. We give our tithes. um, But please feel no pressure. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you that there is life to be had. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us all in this place to turn our hearts away from our idols, from the things that that, uh, we trust more than you. God, I pray that you would just show us the futility of trusting in anything other than Jesus. And that, God, you would just move us in in, in hope and faith as only you can. We love you. We thank you that you love us more. Bless this morning and bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen.